Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. I, I really love rocks, and uh, when Don asked me if I uh, preach, I, I started to think about a few options. I had really three options that were running through my head, and one of them had to do with rocks, and I prayed about it, and I landed on, on rocks. And uh, uh, Scripture really has a lot to say about rocks. It's amazing how much stuff is in Scripture about rocks. And so I, I picked out a few points in Scripture where, this, where the text has to do with rocks, and we're going to look and see how does that What's the significance of that? How does that apply to Jesus? And I, and I was amazed to find, as I've studied scripture, how much God has put in there symbolically that rocks refer to, the, to himself, to, to, to the Lord Jesus. So we're gonna look at that. But uh, when I was growing up, I was very interested in rocks. We had a perpetual kind of a construction site by our house and the rain kept coming and washing the stones away and I'd go and search and I got this rock collection. I really got into agates, you know. The superior agates are the Minnesota State Rock, if you don't know. And so I had a collection, got older, kind of forgot about that. And then I got to be about 30 and had kids and I got back into it. I joined a rock and mineral club in uh, Owatonna. And since then, I've really been interested. So I have a fairly large collection of different kinds of stones and everything. And uh, I brought one with me today. I don't know if there's going to be time at the end to just present this one to you and show you. But this is my grand treasure of my entire collection and I found it. And... Uh, I was with my daughter and my son Caleb when I found this one, and uh, it's very unique and it's kind of symbolic. And it's well, if there's time, I'll tell you about it later. But uh, it's really a treasure of mine, and it's hidden away in this box right here. So we'll see if we have time for that. But uh, the thing, one of the things I've discovered being a Christian for 30 years uh, and reading and appreciating the Word of God, is that you know God He writes in Scripture and He. He, uh, he hides things in there, and he wants us to seek after them and find them. Like Jesus said, ask and it'll be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. You know, God has an element of him that he kind of hides stuff. He's, he's not just always putting it right out there in the open. He wants you to do a little work and kind of look around and try to find stuff. And it's like me, when, I, when I'm hunting for rocks and my family, we've gone together, and we're hunting for that treasure. We're looking and examining, and we're sometimes it can be painful. You know, we, we got to go through a stream and, you know, get slivers, and maybe there's a storm. And, and, and or whatever, you know, and we uh, are diligent and sometimes we find these treasures and that's what God's word's kind of like and the word and the Bible testifies to that. In the New Testament, it says in Hebrews, it says the law, meaning the first five books of the New Old Testament and really the whole Old Testament is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, the re, not the realities themselves. So what he's saying is the, the law, the Old Testament there's a bunch of stuff in there that are shadow representations of the truth that's going to come in the New Testament, which is really the person of Jesus. There's all kinds of stuff that, that is hidden in the Old Testament through the festivals and through the lives of the patriarchs and the saints in the Old Testament. All those things are just a treasure trove of information about who this Messiah is going to be when he comes. And that's why Jesus was so upset with many of the leading Jews when he came because they didn't recognize that. It was, it was all over the place. They should have seen it, but many of them didn't. They were blind. Blinded. So Jesus also said something very interesting. Uh, if you remember the road to Emmaus, he had, he had resurrected and he came in an unrecognizable form to a couple disciples that were very discouraged walking down this road and they're going to this place called Emmaus. 
And Jesus comes up alongside of them and, you know, kind of asks them what's going on. They're like, haven't you heard about what happened? Oh, this is, it was unbelievable. There's this amazing person that came and, and then, you know, he's dead, you know. And, and then Jesus uh, says something very interesting to them. He said, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then to enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus gives this supercharged Bible study to these guys and says, I was here, I was here, I was here, I was here, I was here. This showed my death, this showed, you know, uh, this and that and the other thing. And he opened their eyes up to the scriptures. Somebody's got a phone call. <laughs> Um, and so, and we can see just briefly, uh, you know, Jesus mentioned during his uh, ministry, he mentioned a few of these things to us. One of the things, remember when he said Jonah in the whale, he said, as the son of man, as Jonah was in the heart of the whale for three days, so the son of the man will, the son of man will be in the heart of the earth. So all of a sudden you go, oh, you mean that story had something to do with you? Yes. God put it in there as a picture hidden in the Old Testament about Jesus. And then the manna in the Old Testament, God rained down manna from heaven. And then in the New Testament, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, I am the true bread. Mo Moses gave you the manna in the desert, but I am the true bread that comes from heaven. So hidden in that manna coming down is this symbolic meaning that Jesus is going to give us the bread of life to eat and our spirits can live, you know. And then there's much more. There's Joseph, the life of Joseph the patriarch. His life is chock full of symbolism and, and representations of the suffering Messiah and the rejection of his brothers, the Jewish people, and his resurrection and his exaltation and all this stuff. It's, it's unbelievable if you study the life of Joseph, how much good stuff's in there. And then uh, Jesus also said, I tell you, as the snake was lifted up on the pole in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up as well. There's that incident where everybody was getting bitten by snakes because they were living in sin. And then Moses raises up this bronze snake on a pole. Seems kind of weird. And they looked to that. And it, when they were looking at it, it cured them of, of this uh, poison. And Jesus became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So there's these pictures that are just hidden all over in the Old Testament. So... Jesus also said something that was just truly amazing. He was talking about the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. And he said, I tell you the truth, not one jot or one tittle will by any means depart from the law until all of it is fulfilled. He said, what did he mean by that? What's a jot? What's a tittle? A jot is another word for uh, the letter yod. It's the smallest, looks like an apostrophe. It's a letter in Hebrew. It's the smallest letter. Not one of those. Or then he said tittle. And tittle's even less significant. It's basically a little curve on the end of one of the letters. He implied that even the very letters themselves and parts of letters in the original languages have meaning. So how deep does God's word go? We will never comprehend it completely until he reveals it to us, but we can, we can infer that this goes far deeper than we can appreciate. So I don't know if you guys have ever, you probably have, you've seen these uh, camouflaged animals. And sometimes you look at a, a, a picture and you don't even see the animal until maybe it moves or something. And, and we've got one of them right here. You probably have seen this, but here we've got some coral. And then uh, smack dab in the middle is a little seahorse. Well, if you just swam by that and looked down, you would not see that, you know. And that's kind of how God's word is sometimes, where you read over stories and you just kind of breeze over. Well, 
You didn't realize it, but there's some stuff hidden in there that talks about Jesus. And then uh, also, if you guys have heard about the magic eye pictures, have you ever seen those? Where if you look at the picture a certain way, like right now, just like, it's like oh, that's just a bunch of gibberish, you know, nothing, just, it's pretty, but, you know, nothing much. But if you look at it the right way, that becomes a three-dimensional picture. And I don't know if you, I did it, it was on my computer at home, and I, I can do it right now. I don't know if I can do it right now, but anyways, there's actually a bowl on that picture. It's kind of a skinny bowl. I think it was on a diet or something. It's very skinny, but anyways, uh, it's a bowl. And so that also to me is, is what I've experienced as a Christian studying God's word. It's like, you'll be looking at the scripture and all of a sudden, oh, wow, that I see it now, you know, not always, but I mean, there's, a, there's certain points in scripture where you really get that revelation, that really cool thing that happens. It almost like it's 3D, you know? So today we're just going to take a little bit of a treasure hunt, I'm going to call it, and we're going to go into scripture and we're going to look at a few of the stories and a, a few of the rocks that are in there and we're going to see if we can see the Lord Jesus there. And, uh, you know, uh, in Proverbs, it's one of my favorite books, there's so much good stuff in there, but uh, in, in Proverbs it says this, it says, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure. Now that, that is not in there by coincidence. He's saying there is hidden stuff in here. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So I just wanted to tell you a little cool thing that happened. So I was preparing the message, you know, Don asked me a few weeks ago to do this. And this last Friday, I woke up early, I prayed, I sat down and I read the first story we're going to talk about here was, is Jacob. And I read that. And as I was reading it, I, I, I was seeing things in there that I'd never seen before. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I'm seeing, I'm seeing Jesus in here in a way that I've never seen it before. And I could really sense that the Holy Spirit was there and he was like a lens came over my, and this doesn't happen all that often, but once in a while it happens, you know? And I was just like, wow, Lord, you're showing me this stuff. This is, this is amazing. And so the title of my message is Jesus, Our Rock. So then I went to work and I drive a city bus and I have a split shift. So I went in and I drove in my morning shift. I got done with a couple hours and then there's a time for me to go take a break. So I, I got out and I was gonna go and use the restroom and I. I, uh, I'd been thinking all morning as I'm driving, I was like, well, that's maybe kind of dangerous because I'm thinking about God's word, you know, like, oh, that rocky, you know, that had to do with that and that. Oh, well, I got to look at the road, you know, kind of a thing, you know. And anyways, I didn't have any close calls, but, uh, but I was pondering this whole thing that God had been really kind of like showing me, and it was rocks. I was thinking about rocks, 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 you know. So then I get off the bus and I grab my phone and I check my email and the most recent email is an email from a daily Bible study that I subscribe to that I really never look at. I, I just, it's called the Berean study, I think, or something like that. And I honestly, I never look at it, I should, but maybe once in a blue moon I'll peek at it, you know. But that's the first and most recent thing that's in my feed and I, I just looked at it and I just like did a double take and it says, you know, how it kind of highlights just part of the email and it says, Deuteronomy 32.4, he is our rock, it said. And I was like, that's exactly what I've been thinking about all morning. This is, you know, to me, it was just uh, the Holy Spirit just confirming to me, you know, he's, he's there. This is, you know, this is him. I mean, he's, he's just saying, and sometimes that happens. I mean, you got to live your life of faith. You don't always get these feedback things from the Lord, but sometimes he'll do stuff like that. And it, and it was cool. So I was very thankful for that. 
So this is the verse that was on my feed, Deuteronomy 32.4. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. And you know, he's the rock. Jesus is the rock. We know that. So when you see rocks in scripture, get your tuning uh, radar up and say to yourself, okay, now how's this applying to Jesus? Because many times it really does. But anyways, when you think of rocks, what do you think of? You know, you think of rocks and you think of strength. You think of power, you think of protection, you think of uh, faithfulness, unchanging. They stay the same, permanence. And rocks, you know, protection, you, you know, you, you could go up on a rock if there's a flood. You can hide behind a rock if there's a storm. Uh, you can hide underneath an overhanging rock if there's, you know, a heavy rain. That's what God is trying to tell us. He is that rock. He is that refuge that we can go to that is permanent and unchanging and powerful. And he wants us to trust him in that way. So why don't we turn in scripture, if you have your Bible, to Jacob's dream, and that's in uh, uh, Genesis 28, 10 through 32, and we'll read that. Okay, or 10 through 22, 10 through 22. Okay, I'll read it. Jacob left Beersheba and, sent, and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will go and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I've promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. It's the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow in saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house and all that you give me, I'll give you a tenth. So we have Jacob who is leaving his family. He had stolen the, if you remember the story of Jacob, he stole the blessing from his brother Esau. He tricked his dad, dressed up, his dad was blind basically, dressed up, put some animal clothes on his body, and then his dad felt him and went, oh yeah, you're Esau. And then another part of it too is apparently he smelled uh, the clothes and, you know, was, oh, the scent of my son. It's like, your son smells like an animal? You know, but anyway, you know. Uh, so then he stole the blessing and uh, he'd also stole the birthright. And long story short, so Esau is so upset that he wants to kill Jacob, but he says, I'm gonna do it as soon as my dad dies and he's almost ready to die, you know? Well, the mom overheard that somehow and then 
she wanted to send him away to go be with their with her brother his uncle so he agrees to do that because esau wants to kill him so he leaves and it's a very long journey and then on the way this incident happens here and so he uh jacob is one of the patriarchs he's abraham isaac and jacob he's the third one his a synonym for his name is Israel, so he represents Israel. You read through Isaiah and stuff, and God oftentimes will call Israel Jacob when they're behaving very worldly, and then he'll call them Israel when they're behaving more like they should be. So, but Jacob is a synonym, and, and here God reiterates the promise he's made to Abraham and Isaac, and he says it again, I'm doing this for you, and he says, through your offspring, all earth will be blessed. Now, the Jews are a blessing to the, the world. They're very talented people they've done a lot for the world but specifically the messiah is the one that being referenced here so he is carrying the messiah in his body the dna that's going to be used to make the body of the messiah and and so he is a very large representative of the messiah and so this weird situation happens where you know he falls asleep and he grabs a stone and he uses it as a pillow doesn't sound very comfortable but apparently he got pretty good sleep and then we're going to look and see is Jesus, and this is the part that, you know, I really felt like I, I, I had seen a few of these parts before, you know, as I studied scripture, but a few of these popped out at me and I'd never seen them before. And I'm convinced that Jesus is all over the Old Testament. You just have to know where to look for him, you know. And so uh, let's take a quick peek. So, so um, I, uh, Jacob takes this stone and I actually have a stone here. And uh, long story short, but I did some research and I am t fully convinced that the stone that he used was limestone because I looked on uh, the internet and I looked up Bethel where this was and you could see the picture and it's limestones everywhere. The whole place is just limestone, limestone, limestone all over the place. So he, 99% chance he took a chunk of limestone and that's what he used under his head. So, you know, something like this, probably bigger, you know, but this is limestone. It's all over the earth, you know. So uh, anyway, so he, he sets this thing up and he does something really weird. He pours oil on top of it. And he says, why did he do that, you know? And so if we consider that Jesus is this rock and somehow he's symbolic in this rock, if you take a look at what he did, he pours oil over the rock and let's look at the, 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 the title of Jesus is Christ, right? He's the Christ, he's the Messiah. Did you know that both of those words mean anointed one? It has to do with pouring oil over the top of the head of somebody that's being commissioned into God's service, whether a priest or a king or a prophet. And it was symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming over them in power for them to complete their task. And so he does that to this rock. So you can see that the Messiah, he's, he's Messiahing that rock. So already you're seeing little hints of, you know, he's, he's doing that. So then uh, another thing he does is, so the rock's laying down and he lays his head on the rock and he rests on the rock. Is there anywhere in scripture that talks about the Messiah providing rest for us? Oh yes, that's, it's all over. In Matthew 11:22. The Messiah himself says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and le learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he provides rest for our souls in our salvation that we get through him. And plus, Jesus did all the work of saving us so we can rest in the finished work 
that Jesus did. And this is going to happen to Israel. They're going to, Israel, you picture Jacob as Israel, they're going to be able to rest in the finished work of the Messiah that they're resting on, that he's underneath their head. Even though it's a rock, their rock is there. They're going to eventually have the opportunity to rest in the finished work of that Messiah. And then I saw something else. I saw, okay, so Jacob is sleeping. And then he has a dream and hears the voice of God. And then he, he wakes up. And I thought, even in that, even in that, there's actually, I believe, a, a hidden element here to a pattern that's going to happen in the future. You're going to have people that are asleep. The Bible says sleep is a metaphor for people that are dead in Christ. Sleeping is a metaphor for righteous that are dead. And then they're going to wake and rise. And that's what he did too. The rock was laying there. And then he had set it up as a pillar. And when we get baptized, you see, we, we kind of lay in the water and we lift up and that's a picture of the resurrection. So even this is a little picture of a resurrection because the Bible says in Daniel 12 to multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. And then Jesus said this, he said in John 5, 25, verily I tell you a time is coming and now has come when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. He heard the voice of the Son of God and he woke up. I believe there's even a hint of the resurrection that's, that's in that moment. This is a, a patriarch of the Messiah here. And what God said to him right there had to do with the Messiah coming. And another weird element here is here he looks up the top of this ladder and he sees God standing there. And it's Jesus because God, when he appears in the Old Testament, is Jesus. God, the Father, is invisible. You, he, he has no real form, but... When you see God in the Old Testament, it's God the Son, and he's looking up at his great, 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 great grandson that's going to come in the future. Kind of a strange irony there. So anyway, uh, he hears the voice of God and he wake, wakes up, just like it's going to happen at the time of the resurrection. Now then, something interesting is he takes this limestone. Now, I'm into rocks, and so uh, I... I've studied uh, limestone. I don't know how many of you know what limestone is made out of, but limestone is found all over the face of the earth, and it's a sedimentary rock, and it was laid down during the flood of Noah. It was God's judgment on the earth that laid these this layer of rock down, and so a lot of times there's fossils in this rock, dead stuff that's in there. This is a rock of death. It speaks of death. So you see uh, Jacob lay the rock down and he lays on that rock. So if you picture somebody laying, if this is the rock, if this is Jesus, the rock's laying there. Then when, he's, when he gets up, he takes that rock and he sets it up as a pillar like this. And so you see the resurrection of the one who was dead. You see Jesus's resurrection in that. And then he sets it up as a pillar. What's interesting about that is he, sa he said he was setting up as a pillar and that this was gonna become the house of God and the Bible speaks over and over again about Jesus being the cornerstone of God's work, God's temple that he is building. So he sets this thing up and he says, this is going to become the house of God. He's, a set, he's effectively setting the cornerstone of the Messiah who's going to build the temple, who's going to be the temple in the future. It says in 1 Peter 2.6, See, I set a stone in Zion, 
a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So I believe that even there, there's a message for us about the, the cornerstone who is to come, Jesus, the descendant of Jacob, that's, he's playing out these things, he doesn't even realize it, that are prof prophetic about the future of the Messiah that's in his loins. So another thing is, you see that Jesus is near this rock. I mean, he's above it, he's laying on it, but up above is Jesus standing up there. So that's gonna kind of apply to the next story. But um, So let's move on and we'll look at the next story in scripture that has to do with a rock. And that's in Exodus 17, one through seven. This is the story of the water that comes from the rock. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. I think I'm gonna take a sip of water right now. Throats get dry. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord and said, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go, I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Just as Jesus was close to the rock in the previous story, he will stand there by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? A little bit of the background of the story is this is recently out of Egypt. They saw all the plagues. They saw the Red Sea open up. They saw all the Egyptians die. They had Miriam sing, Miriam sing the song, and they all were rejoicing at God's great victory, killing all the Egyptians. They didn't, all they had to do was watch and see the work of the Lord. It was amazing. It was an incredible work of God's power. So then they saw God's strength. Now, when we see God's work in our life, we start becoming accountable a little bit to be able to trust him for some things. You know, if things start getting a little bit rough, we don't go, you're trying to kill me. You know, and we don't get upset with the Lord that way. We just, we, the Lord wants us to confidently trust in him. He's our rock. We, we should confidently trust in him. It's gonna get tough sometimes. It's gonna be, well, it's gonna be difficult. You know, in this world, you're gonna have trouble, but we got, God appreciates and God's looking for that heart that says, I'm gonna trust you, Lord, even though things are getting tough. I know you've done good stuff before. You're gonna do it again. And that's when God, that's what delights him when you trust him. And so they had this thing happen where they come out of uh, Egypt, they had that thing happen. And immediately there's, there's no water and they, they start to look for water and they can't find any and they got thirsty. And they had another incident where they were getting upset and they, they, they couldn't find water. They finally come up to this place and they see water and they start drinking it and it's bitter, it's poison. And so they, they complained and uh, God said, uh, take that tree that's over there and throw it in the water. And he did and the water became sweet. And so then they drank. And so, Again, a tree, Jesus was hung on a tree, and that 
cleanse the bitterness of sin from, from us and from our lives. And it, the, the pictures are there too, you know, with that. So the water was clean, they drank, and then they went to another place. There was water and springs there. So then they come to this next spot that we just read about, and they, they ran out of water. And what did they do? They started to grumble again because they didn't have water. What they should have done and what we should do too. I mean, I'm susceptible to this too. I'm, we all are. But they had seen God already do the miracle of water. And so now they're getting pretty accountable for, okay, we're out of water again. Last time we were out of water, God provided. So that means this time he's going to provide. So let's just go. Maybe they should have just said, let's go ask Moses. Moses, could you talk to the Lord for us? We need water. Okay, I'll do that. You know, And then he could have talked to the Lord and the Lord provide water. But they grumbled and complained and they wanted to stone Moses. Well, anyways, so God, this is where uh, the rock comes in. So God says, all right, take some elders, go up to the rock that's up there. I will stand by it. You strike it and water is going to come out. Kind of a weird story, but uh, the rock is Christ, the New Testament tells us. In 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4, it's, Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud. They passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud of the sea. in the sea. They ate the same spiritual food and they drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them that followed them and that rock was Christ. So you see the spiritual rock is next to the physical rock in this story. The angel of the Lord that was in the wilderness with the children of Israel was the Lord Jesus Christ. It was God there. And so he, he, the Lord instructs him to do something very strange. Strike the rock with your staff and water will come out. Well, how does that symbolize Jesus? Well, Jesus, this is just like a, a stick drawing format of the gospel. I mean, it's just like barely there, but it's there. So basically, the Messiah of the rock is going to get struck. And then we read in uh, Psalms that the rock actually opened up. It split. And then water came out for the thirsty people that were dying spiritually. You know, they were dying physically then, but now it comes out for us who are dying spiritually. And that was the crucifixion. It was him being broken on the cross and being struck. And that that happening brought water to the world. It says in Zechariah 13, 7, Awake sword against my shepherd, against the man who's close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered and I'll turn my hand against the little ones. This is a prophecy about God the Father striking Jesus the good shepherd and then that is, is going to be the cross. And then what is the significance of this water? What is that? Well, Jesus tells us, and, and I went into the restroom this morning, and this verse is right on the restroom in the, in the men's room. John 7, 37 to 39. Now, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, saying, If anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So the picture in the Old Testament is the picture of the Spirit coming out of that rock. It's essentially a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the good news that gives us the drink that our soul, the whole, all of humanity needs this drink, because we're all dying of thirst. Uh, the Bible calls us dead in our sins and trespasses. We're dying of thirst, and if we would like... God will give us this drink that he's, he's purchased in Christ that we can have that is living water that will give us life. 
And so you can see hidden there in the Old Testament, there's the gospel in primitive format. There is a, this rock right here could very well be literally the rock that was split by Moses in the desert. And without getting too much into it, there's a YouTube video called Mount Sinai, Proof of the Supernatural. It's got like 2.1 million views. And in Saudi Arabia, there's a location that appears to have, and it's very convincing, it, it appears to have Mount Sinai, it appears to have this rock, and there's, there's erosion in front of this rock, like there was a bunch of water that had come down from the top of this thing, uh, and, and they talk about it in the video. And also the place where they uh, had the golden calf, there's a huge rock with these Jewish inscriptions in Saudi Arabia uh, of, of calves on around this uh, uh, big, huge rock that apparently was the place that they put the golden calf and they danced around it. It's, it's amazing. If you, if you go out there, take a look at it. And I believe God's allowed these archaeological things to be left so that we can find it. We can confirm this is a reasonable faith we have here. This isn't just faith in blind nothing. There are convincing proofs once you uh, investigate things. It's about seeking and finding again. So then we're going to take a look at the Rock of Daniel, and that's in Daniel 2, 40, uh, 24 through 45. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. This and Joseph are two of my favorites, but we're, gonna, we're just going to read part of it here. Um, then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I'll interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king and at once said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He's shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. As you're lying there, O king, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what's going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, but that so that you, O king, may know the interpretation, that you may understand what went through your mind. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. The iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were broken into pieces at the same time and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he's placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he's made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. 
After you, another kingdom will rise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks and smashes things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and, uh, and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly of iron and partly of clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as <clears throat> just as you saw the iron mixed with baked iron uh, mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. So King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He's really confused about it. He asks his wise men and diviners to interpret it, but also not just to interpret it, but to tell, them, to tell him what the dream was first. And they come and they say, we can't do that. You've got to tell us what the dream is first. Well, he got so mad. I've noticed that this king has an anger problem. He got so mad, he said, that's it. Kill all of my wise men and turn their houses into piles of rubble. And so he, he started to basically cut his own feet out from under him. And uh, Daniel finds about, out about it, stops him and says, hold on. I think I, we can do this. And he prays. He gets the answer. And then he interprets what this huge statue is. And this huge statue is a picture of human history as far as the world-dominating kingdoms go. And so you've got progressive, you've got Babylon, you've got Medo-Persia, you've got Greece, and then you've got Rome. And then even like with Rome, you see its two, its two legs that are iron are representing Rome. And Rome actually split into two halves, east and west. So you're seeing that in the legs. But then at the bottom, there's this weird thing that happens. It's iron chunks mixed with baked clay. And so it's a mixture of some kind. And... Uh, uh, just a side note here, but I, I personally believe that what that is, is you had the, the Roman Empire never really totally dissolved. It broke into pieces, but even today we're seeing the chunks and the remnants of the Roman Empire all over the world. I mean, if you look at our country, we've got Capitol Hill. Well, that is Roman architecture, and it comes from Capitolina Hill that was in Rome. It was their capital, had all kinds of idols and stuff. That was where they ruled from. Then you look over in, in Russia, you've got their, their czars that they have as leaders. Well, the word czar comes from the word Caesar, so it's Roman influence. You know. Then you look at uh, Germany, and you have Kaisers over there. Well, Kaiser is just a German word for basically Caesar. So you see this chunk format on the world. It's still there. The chunks of the Roman culture are still there. But what is this thing about this mixing of clay? And it's just my theory. I'm not saying that, you know, I know it. But I, but I believe that we're seeing a worldwide mixing right now. We're seeing peoples that are kind of third world people, kind of clay people, if you will, primitive, you know, coming into these other nations and they're mixing in with different cultures and everything. Here in the United States, too, all these different cultures are coming in and that can be good if people adapt. But it says here that it's not going to hold. It's not going to be secure because you've got two different types of things there that just aren't compatible. 
And I have a suspicion that we're seeing that mixing right now. We're in the foot stage of this thing. And then it says there's going to be 10 toes. And Revelation tells us that there's going to be, during the tribulation, there's going to be 10 kings that arise and basically rule the whole earth. And then one of the, there's going to be one that springs up that's the Antichrist amidst those 10 kings. And that's when this rock is going to come and smash it. So we're, we're seeing here in, in this, this rock, this rock is going to be cut out of a mountain. I believe the scripture is telling us it's, it's the mountain of heaven. It's, it's, we've got Mount Zion on earth that is a earthly representative of the heavenly Mount Zion, which the Bible tells us that there is a mountain there too. At the top of that is the temple and the throne of God there. And this, this rock that was cut out is the one who's from heaven. It's Jesus Christ. And he's cut out because there's an intention to use him as the cornerstone for a building. It has to do with an intention to build. And so this, uh, this is going to happen in the future. It kind of happened on the cross. Jesus destroyed the work of the devil. And there was a, a element of that there. But it's also going to take a physical form at the end of the tribulation. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to set up his kingdom that will never end. And, and it's a, the picture is really God cutting out this rock from the mountain in heaven. He's taking that rock. And there's the statue of the world kingdoms that Satan has been controlling for millennia. And it's, it's in its final stage now. And God throws this rock down at it. And it smashes into the feet of the statue. And the entire thing comes just collapsing down, completely goes into dust, and the wind blows it away. There's, it's nowhere to go. This thing is gone because the Messiah is setting up his reign and rule on earth. And uh, <clears throat> the, the thing about, uh, what was I going to say about that? Yeah, so anyways, so the sun is going to set up the kingdom and you're seeing, if, if you've seen the movie Lord of the Rings, I don't know if you've seen that movie before, but but there's some, the, the really cool moment, and to me that movie kind of represents, you know, uh, you know, it kind of represents a lot of good and evil and a lot of principles of God's sovereignty and the final destruction of evil and things like that, but you got that tower that's got that eye on the top of it that uh, is basically, you could say, Satan and the kingdoms of this world, and then at the end, that thing, the ring gets thrown into the, uh, into the fire of Mount Doom, and, and it's destroyed. And you see that thing just start to fall down and it starts to collapse and it's this big, awesome smash and there's this huge shock wave, you know. That's kind of what this is gonna be. When the Lord Jesus returns, he is going to destroy the evil things that have been happening here in, in this world for so long. It's time, time is up and the new king is coming. And, and you, you say, you know, how do we know for sure, you know, that, uh, that rock is Jesus, you know? Well, I think it's pretty obvious as you study scripture just to infer that, but, but there's a verse that says, I put that paper away. In Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, it says, amazing, that rock comes from a baby. <laughs> it's amazing how God can use the weak to shame the strong, you know. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now here it is. Remember the, the rock came down, smashed it, and was still there, and it became a huge mountain. So it grew and became this gigantic mountain that filled the whole earth. It was basically a mountain seed that was planted there by God. And it says here, of the increase of his government and peace, you see the increase of that seed of him, 
There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice. This is speaking of, you know, the blessed hope, you know, basically the glorious appearing of a great God and Savior will be taken to heaven. We'll come back with him. He's going to set up his earthly kingdom for a thousand years. And we're going to see what it's like when a righteous king finally rules this planet. And I can hardly wait. And so, so that's the, the rock of Daniel. And then... Let's turn to Revelation 4, 1 through 6. I call this the great treasure. You know, we're all looking for, for the treasure. The Bible speaks of the treasure, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and, and the hidden treasure. And, and really, what is this treasure that we're looking for? I mean, the, the, treasure, the, the treasure is God himself. I mean, the, he is the treasure I mean, heaven's going to be awesome. You know, we're going to look around, we're going to see beautiful things. The new heaven and the new earth is going to be fantastically beautiful, but I'm convinced it's not going to be compared with just looking at the Lord God, you know, and, and enjoying him. That's going to be the high point by far of that whole eternity we're going to be spending with him. So let's look and see what happens here. We have uh, one through six. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was also what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. You know, when we get into the heavenlies, there's so many beautiful rocks there. The, the revelation is just full of all these beautiful stones. But what's amazing is even God himself sitting on the throne is described by John in terms of beautiful gemstones. So we're just going to take a look at that. And, and I admit, you know, we're getting into some speculation. We don't know for sure about this stuff. It, it gets hard to identify the gemstones because uh, there's gemstones in the Old Testament that are difficult to know exactly what colors and types. And then the New Testament, even there, it's a little bit difficult. But... I, I'm taking a shot at it, and hopefully we'll be in the ballpark, ballpark here. But we're talking about the appearance of God himself on that throne when we get there. We're going to see this. And so the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and some translations say a sardine stone. Carnelian and sardine are very similar. And they're red stones. They're kind of a deep red color, and they're opaque. They're not transparent. You can't see through them. So I believe what John's getting at here is there's a red color element to what he's looking at. And then jasper, it's a very uh, wide variety of stone. And uh, there's all different colors, and there's ones with patterns and stuff. So you ask yourself, what's he getting at there? So we're going to use the scripture to interpret scripture. And actually, in Revelation 21, 10 through 11, it defines, I believe, for us what he's talking about here. And it says, and he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. We're talking about the mountain of heaven where God is seated. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, 
and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel like jasper, clear as crystal. So he says, he's the same word, he's saying jasper here, but jasper, the, the jaspers I know of are not clear as crystal and uh, they're not all that precious. I mean, they're considered a semi-precious gemstone, but he's saying very precious jewel like jasper, clear as crystal. So, so I think we can look and we can say, what is a very precious jewel we can think of that's clear as crystal. I, diamonds, diamonds. I think he may be getting at something more like diamonds here. He's like a diamond. So a reddish color and a very precious jewel like diamond. So you put the two together and what you, what you get is something like a red diamond is I think what he may be speaking about here. And I think there could be an element here of, of the first and the last, because God describes himself as the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. And then he's also in the breastplate of the priest, which we'll talk about in a minute, the first and the last there too. He encompasses the entire group of God's people. But, but it could be that this is what, in general terms, we're talking about here. And I looked it up, and I don't know if you know this or not, but the red diamond is the most rare and valuable of the diamonds. It's, it's the hardest one to find. It's the most rare and the most valuable. And then we read in Proverbs, it says, wisdom, who is wisdom? God himself is wisdom. He's the fountain of wisdom. Christ is wisdom personified. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. I mean, rubies are red, you know, clear red color. And I think what we might be getting hinted at in here, we might be getting hinted, we can only guess, but I think the precious blood of Jesus is being spoken of here. I think the inestimable value of the eternal life that was bought, was, was bought for us is represented in this <clears throat> as God sits there and his radiation is, is representing that. So we don't know, but when we get there, we'll find out. But whatever it is, we will be very happy to see it. So then in conclusion, did you know that God has treasure? God has treasure, and I wonder if you know what it is. Did you know that you are God's treasure? In Deuteronomy 14.2, it says this, <clears throat> For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, 1 Peter 2.9 says this, to New Testament Christians, it says the same thing. But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, God's treasured possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You know, the Hebrew word for treasure in the Old Testament has its foundational root meaning to shut up. And what that means is if you have something really valuable, you don't just set that out in the open. You don't just lay it in your yard or whatever. You take that and you put it in a special container and you shut it up in a closet or in a safety deposit box or, or just in a secret place, right? Well, that's what God is telling us that he does for us. And this is my grand treasure that I have. And, and coincidentally, I mean, I didn't intend to do this, but I have, sh I have shut this up inside of this special golden container and it's my special treasure i i honestly believe that the lord gave me this and, and so uh, but i've done that with this and to to further back this up in the old testament uh, 
The high priest wore this gar on his garments. This is called the breastplate. And God said that his people were his special possession, his special treasured possession. Well, in the New Testament, we learn that all the high priests really were just pictures of the one special high priest who is the Lord Jesus Christ, who goes before the Father for us. And so that high priest, whenever he would go into that Holy of Holies, he would be wearing on the front of his chest right here, something that looked like this. And God said, you know what? I'm going to take gemstones to represent you before him. Not the same ones. They're different. God likes variety. But, but various precious gemstones <clears throat> that represent you. And just one little thing. I, I, I uh, had a friend at work who has a daughter. And uh, one time we were together and I had some rocks. And I, I gave his daughter this, this rock. And she took the rock and she looked at it and she went... <gasps> And she went like this, and she brought it right up to her heart, you know? And, and I thought, you know, that's, that's what the intent is here. That's what God's saying, you know? And when you think about that, if Jesus is the man wearing that, <clears throat> what's right behind those stones? God's heart is right there. You know, we're a people close to his heart, you know? And so we are God's rock collection. <laughs> we're God's people. We're his treasure. We're his, we're his gemstones. And so... When we're together, you know, when we're ser serving in church and stuff, let's look at each other as, as gemstones. I mean, you know, you can even walk up to somebody, you know, Rose, you're really looking like a diamond today, you know. <laughs> Actually, she's looking a lot like turquoise because she's wearing a lot of it. But, uh, but you know, we're, we're God's special gems, you know, and we got to treat each other that way. And so, you know, let's, let's think about that and say, you know, if we're, we're tempted to go, you know, such and such a person is doing this to me, just remember, you know, God, I know that is your, that's your Jasper over there. So I, I got to be careful. And, I, you know, let's, let's think about this. Take a minute to, to change my attitude about my brother or my sister. So, so, so we're, we're, the, we're the treasure of God. We're the pressure, precious gemstones of God. And let's keep that in view. So just briefly, I, I, I'll, I'll show you what I have in here. And uh, I searched... I've estimated 500 hours for, for rocks. And I always had that thing in my mind that, you know, someday I'm going to find that great treasure, like that pearl that, you know, is in the parable of uh, Jesus, the pearl, or the hidden treasure. The guy goes and sells this whole field. You know, that's the story of the gospel. That's the story of Jesus. You find him, you give everything up for him, you know. But it happened in a funny way to me. So my family and I, we searched many times and went through a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of difficulty, honestly. Uh, and the Bible says, if you seek God with all your heart and all your mind, all your soul, you'll find him. You know, it's kind of metaphorically how this thing came about. I found this a few years ago after many years of looking. And so I found this stone. And there's another stone that I'll just briefly read to you that this, to me, represents. So in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, God says this. To his people. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and I'll move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So God says, this is, this is essentially a representation of the new covenant. He's going to take that stone heart out of people and he's going to put a new one in a heart of flesh so that they're responsive to God, a soft heart, like the soft uh, uh, 
soil, you know, when Jesus talked about the good soil and the bad soil and the hard soil, he's going to do that for you. And then in Jeremiah, it says too, for this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I'll put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I'll be their God and they'll be my people. So I found this rock. And then for the next about year and a half to two years, you know, after holding it and examining it, I kept seeing things about this rock that there's like biblical principles in it. There's different shapes and different colors and patterns and stuff that I kept going, wow, this really represents this, you know, and this really represents that. Well, without getting too much into that, I'll, you know, I'll just show you, but the, the uh, this is the rock and it, it looks a lot like a heart, uh, but, a, but a real heart. I don't know if you can see that or not, but I mean, it, it really looks like a heart, like a heart. It's got the you know, muscle color and then it has like flesh there and it's kind of shaped in the pattern of a heart. It's like a small heart, like the heart of a child. And Jesus said that we're to have the faith of a child. Always maintain that in your faith, you know? So this heart is smaller like that. And then without getting too much into this, the Bible says we're supposed to have circumcised hearts and there's this flesh color here. It looks like flesh. And it seems like there's been a cutting on the top of the heart here. And uh, so it's, it's a heart of flesh. It's, not, it's a heart of stone, but it's also a heart of flesh. So it's like a new covenant stone. To me, it's the new covenant rock that I found. And then inside, it's really cool because it has a, it's like it's been cut. You can see inside, it's got a, a red stripe. And then right underneath it, there's a white stripe. And we just read the song that, you know, our sins are like crimson, but they'll be made white like snow. And so it, the Bible says we're to have our hearts sprinkled with the blood of Christ that makes us white as snow. So you've got the heart that's been sprinkled, essentially. You've got the, the red line and the white line. And then there's a, it looks like a mountain that's in there, a shadow of a mountain, and it literally looks like there's clouds. You guys can come and see this later if you want to. It, it's, it's strangely uh, ironic that, I mean, it looks like it's a, a mountain, you know? And the, he said, who will write his law on our hearts. And the law, you think of Mount Sinai, you think of the law coming down, you think about, the new, uh, you know, Mount Zion, really the, the, the law of Messiah, you know, that's, that's in your heart too. And, uh, you know, I could go on and on and on, but I have like 25 things written down about this rock. And so this is my great treasure rock that I have enclosed, you know, in this container because it's my, my treasured possession. But uh, so, uh, but anyway, so that's, that's concluding. So uh, thank you. And Let's all look to, to each other and, and consider that we're all God's gemstones.